0: So last week I mentioned that what I would do for the Lenten Reflections was just to give various virtues that I see our Lord exemplify when he carries his cross and when he dies, sort of under the understanding of what St. Thomas said, that the crucifixion, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ gives us an example of all virtues. So last week I dealt with patience, and today I figured I would deal with meekness so maybe it was last week or two weeks ago, I went to the middle schoolers, I think it was the eighth grade class, and I asked Mr. Mack what they were learning, and he said the Beatitudes. And I said, great, I should probably be able to spend some time on the Beatitudes. And so I asked them what their favorite Beatitude was, and the kids being nice and pious, they were saying, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor, etc., etc. And then I said, so what is your least favorite Beatitude? And none of the kids took the bait. They sat there quietly. And then I said, what do you think my least favorite beatitude is? And like 15 hands shot up. I said, oh boy, here we go. And so I said, what beatitude do you think I don't like? And the first kid says, blessed are the meek. <laughs> you don't have to laugh. <laughs> blessed are the meek, yes. That, that is my least favorite beatitude. I think it is probably for me the most difficult, and a good spiritual director would say, whenever you're praying, where you find difficulty, where you find resistance, that's where you should remain, because that's probably where God wants to work. And so if I find resistance, if I find difficulty, if I can't stand the beatitude, blessed are the meek, that's probably where I should dwell, because that is probably where God wants to work. Meekness is often thought as sort of a weakness. It's thought of just sort of rolling over. That is not actually the case. It's actually strength. And sort of the biblical definition of it would be the humble submission to God based on trust in his love. It's the humble submission to God based on trust in his love. And it manifests itself usually as gentleness, as calmness. You don't panic. I think of the patron of our seminary, St. Francis de Sales, who was called the gentleman saint and who had such great lines like, a spoonful of honey attracts more flies than a barrel full of vinegar. He was gentle, he was meek, but he was extraordinarily strong. He converted thousands, he endured great adversity, so he was strong and meek. You often see in sacred scripture that it's joined towards humility. So in Sirach 45, 4, you notice that talks about moses being trustworthy and meek and so because of that god selected him from all the flesh and you see in numbers 12 3 it emphasizes the humility of moses so humility and meekness usually go hand in hand and that makes sense because meekness is the humble submission to god when the lord gave the beatitudes unfortunately i think he did not ask me for my opinion on them Otherwise, I probably would have told him to leave out the meekness one. Instead, he demands it of us. And it's clear that he demands it. In Matthew 11:29, 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. He is meek and humble of heart. Notice meekness, humility joined together. In the psalm, it says the meek shall inherit the land, heaven, and delight themselves and abundant prosperity. James, when he's talking to his, his flock, his congregation, he commands that they receive the word of God in all meekness. There has to be a humble submission to God based on trust in his love in order for us to receive the word of God, the saving word of God. We also see in the prophet that the remnant, which we would say is Christianity, right? their marks... As a people who are humble and lowly, who take refuge in the Lord, they are meek. That's the remnant, the people of God. So whenever you struggle with a virtue and whenever you need help or an example with a virtue, you should always look to Christ. He is the perfection of all virtue. He is the source of all virtue. He is the one from whom you have a role model, but he also gives you the grace to imitate his virtues. And so you see the meekness of Christ. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Notice his submission to God. He knows his heavenly Father. And because of that, he submits his will to God. Not my will, but yours be done. That's what he does in Gethsemane. And then he's led to slaughter, but he knows and he trusts his Father. And so he says in John, I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Humble submission to God. And notice that this is a divine person, the second person of the Trinity who took on human nature, submitting himself to his heavenly Father. So it's as if he's saying, look, if I who am God can submit myself, so must you. He gives you the example. You see, Paul, he references the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And I've heard this of Christ described as sort of a calm gentleness and a kingly moderation, which characterizes Christ. Throughout the gospel, if you look, you will see a calm gentleness and a kingly moderation in Christ. He never panics, he never gets overwhelmed. He trusts in his Father, he trusts in divine providence, and he abandons himself to that time and time again. So even in the midst of a chaos, like the storm, our Lord is sleeping. The disciples are freaking out. Our Lord is sleeping in complete abandonment and complete humble submission to God the Father. And so, Titus, in the letter to Titus, it talks about the kindness and generous love of God of when our Savior appeared. The kindness, the generous love of God shown to us how to be meek. If Jesus Christ is meek, then we know if we are disciples of Christ, we must imitate Christ. We must follow in his footsteps, and so we must. You will notice that meekness in the life of Christ extends especially to those who are poor and who are vulnerable. So Christ submits himself to God. He loves and trusts God, and that spills over in his dealing with others. And so he reaches out to the poor and to the weak, as the Book of Sirach says: "Give a hearing to the poor." And return their greeting politely. There you see the gentleness, the calmness, the politeness of the one who is meek. Essentially, they become the face of the Heavenly Father to others. They show forth the very meekness of God in their interactions with others. We see that ultimately, meekness is considered wisdom from on high. So James talks about how we should show our good conduct... That our works are done in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. And in James, wisdom is always from God. So the wisdom of God teaches us to be meek. Wisdom in the classical world means either one of two things. It means the ordering of all things to a proper end. So like you can think of a general contractor. I'm doing way too much construction because that's the first thing that comes to my mind. You think of a general contractor who orders all things, all the subcontractors towards an end. In the classical world, that would be considered wisdom. And so wisdom directs the man to be weak, meek because it directs him to submit himself to God. Everything he does is submitted to God and is rooted in this loving trust in God. Spiritual leaders in the New Testament, it's demanded that they may, may be meek. Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that would be like if you see somebody sinning, You who are spiritual, hopefully that would be us, right? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Notice how Paul thinks you should deal with the sins of others. You should restore such a one with gentleness, with kindness. What Paul does not say is you should go to the water cooler and gossip about them. What Paul does not say is you should be scandalized and angry and condemn them. He says, no, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's meekness, calmness. Pastors, that would be me. It's also demanded that they be meek. It says that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance. Once again, the pastor sees the sins he does not panic. He humbly and gently corrects, hoping for repentance. He does not drop the hammer. That ultimately is God's job, not mine. And finally, it must be the mark of the disciple. As Paul says in Colossians, he lists various virtues. He says, the elect of God, those who are chosen of God, that would be all of us, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, Meekness and long suffering. That's what should mark your life. All of those. And I would say all of those are difficult. Peter, when he talks about true adornments, he kind of pushes back in the ancient world of those who would adorn themselves with false beauty. With the beauty of clothing and all of this, because that is vain. And he says, No, 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 true beauty is beauty of the soul. That is what endures. And so you should clothe yourself with virtues. And he says one of them is a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And ultimately, the meekness extends to everyone throughout the whole world. That's always the movement of Christianity we receive from God. We practice it in our own lives, and then it spills over to others. And so Paul in Philippians says, let your gentleness, let your meekness be known to everyone you should be known by it you should not be known by your anger you should not be known by your frustrations you should be known by your meekness so that's quite the reward for meekness then the question is how do we attain it right that's certainly my question how do i attain it and if you think about it if meekness is the humble submission to god and it's based on trust in his love the first thing that you are going to have to know intimately is the goodness of god you're going to have to, to know God's goodness and not merely in an intellectual way. You're going to have to experience it in your own life. You're going to have to taste it, as the spiritual writers would say. So the psalm says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness that you have laid up for those who fear you and accomplished for those who take refuge in you in the sight of everyone. Oh, how abundant is your goodness that it, those words come from the mouth of a soul who has a relationship with God, who knows him in a profound and intimate manner. Because I can sit here and I can tell you that God is good. And I can tell you that God loves you. But you have to experience it. You know this. You have kids. Your kid has to experience the fact that you love them. That's why you hold them. That's why you tell them, I love you. They know you love you that you love them but you have to tell them you have to make sure they taste it they feel it that it consumes their entire being and that's what we have to do with God so in wisdom 15 it says but you are God are good and true slow to anger and governing all with mercy that's what we have to know God as as the psalm says we have to taste and we have to see that the Lord is good taste and see spiritual writers will talk about what's called infused contemplation When we spend time with prayer, and as we grow in the spiritual life, what eventually happens is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts especially of wisdom and understanding, they begin to be more active in our prayer life. Because what has happened is our own will, our own personality, is slowly, essentially dies. And so that we become more and more like Christ. That's what Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when we die to ourselves, then the gifts of the Holy Spirit have the opportunity to be more active in our lives. And when we pray, we start to have intense experiences of God. It's called infused contemplation. It's contemplation, but it's infused by God. And the result of that is the mysteries of the faith and the mysteries and the divine attributes which we know we begin to experience So it's no longer a matter of you know that God is good, but you've actually experienced it. You've essentially been lifted up by God into his presence. And you have seen his goodness. You have tasted it. And so you know it. The distance between the head and the heart has been closed. The humble submission to God based on his trust and his love. So we must know his goodness. We must taste his goodness. But we also must know God's providence providential care for us if God is good but God doesn't care for me I will never trust him so once again I have to experience God's care for me because I know the Lord says the very hairs of my head are all numbered and I know that luckily my hair is still on my head so I have lots of hairs so God has a lot of care for me but I have to experience that I have to live a life where I slowly abandon myself to divine providence, where I stop relying upon my own strength, and I let God carry me a little bit. And once he carries me, then I learn to trust him. It's just like every relationship, trust is hard. It takes time, and you have to spend time with God. But the more you spend time with him, the more you will taste his goodness, the more you will learn his care for you, and then ultimately, you, you can hand yourself over. You can have that humble submission to God based on trust in his love. I think what I said at the 6 p.m. mass last Sunday, I think I would say again. I said last Sunday that you hear us pushing adoration left and right. You hear us pushing the Holy Hour. And the reason for that is I have to do everything in my power, and I have to use every persuasive and ounce of eloquence which I may or may not have to convince you to sit in the presence of our Lord. Because if you will sit in the presence of our Lord for an hour, every day would be great, but if you did it at least once a week, over time you would begin to taste and to see how much God loves you. You would begin to taste and to see how much God cares for you. You would go to adoration weighed down by cares and you would cast your burdens upon him and he would take care of them. And then you would learn to abandon yourself to divine providence. You would learn to humbly submit yourself to God based on that trust and love which you experience in adoration. There are many people who say that the church needs all sorts of things right now and I have heard it time and time again. But the one thing the church needs, the one thing that I need, The one thing that Dominic needs, the one thing that your spouses and your kids and your grandkids and the whole world needs are people who can sit in the presence of our Lord for an hour and receive his love. That's what you must learn to do. If you do that, you will learn meekness.